Well, today our text is taken from the last of the four Gospels to be committed to writing, the Gospel of John. Written in the Apostles' later years, John's account of Jesus' life is distinctly different from those of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. For if the other three Gospel writers worked in a similar way to faithfully tell, retell the events of Christ's life and ministry, John wrote with a different purpose. He wanted to unpack the meaning of those events for all to see. John wanted to fill in the blanks of the story, so to speak, and and directly address these questions. Who was Jesus and why does he matter? So with that background, let's look at the Apostle John's perspective on the Advent which some have described as a cosmic view of the coming of Christ. Let's look together at our text today, found in John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 5, and then continuing, verses 11 through 14. In the beginning, he said, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and was not, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Who was Jesus and why does he matter? If today the Apostle John can better help us appreciate and understand the answers to those key questions, and and not only understand intellectually, but understand through the eyes of faith, then we'll be better prepared to celebrate a right side up Christmas in an upside down world. That's the title of today's message. Would you please join your hearts with mine in prayer? Spirit of the living God, would you fall upon this place? Fall upon each person in this place? Lord, we need you to speak God's truth to every human heart here. I'm not capable of doing that. You are. So would you reawaken us to the wonder of the incarnation, to the wonder of this season? reawaken our hearts to that truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as together we come under the authority of God's word in these moments, may the Lord be with you. Well, I have a confession to make today. Like some of you, probably more of our younger adults in this case, I am hooked on stranger things. For the... (laughs) For the, for the uninitiated, Stranger Things is like is a new Netflix TV drama that's developed something of a cult-like following. And honestly, for reasons I can't fully explain, it just sucked me in. The basic premise of the story is this. Set in a small Indiana town in the mid-1980s, a government scientific project gone awry has opened a mysterious window into what is called the upside-down world. 
Now think of the upside-down world as a parallel universe, complete with the same buildings and trees and landscape features as our real world. But the big difference is this. Our real world is filled with light and life and color, but the upside-down world is a dark, shadowy, and dangerous place that left unchecked threatens to break into our real physical world and overwhelm it. Now, interestingly, when John wrote his gospel over 1,900 years ago, he didn't need a Netflix sci-fi drama to suggest to his contemporaries in this Greek city of Ephesus this idea of a parallel universe. You see, they were already convinced that both a seen world and an unseen world coexisted side by side. And they fully believed that one of these dual worlds was filled with light and life, while the other, the upside-down world, was shrouded in shadows and darkness and death. The Greek people of John's day would have bought into the whole dual-world vibe of Stranger Things, except in one little point. You see, to the ancient Greeks, this physical world that we live in was in fact the shadowy upside-down world. The real world filled with light and life was an unseen parallel spiritual world to which the inner soul of every man longed to escape. In fact, so opposite were these two worlds, this dark, foreboding physical world and the bright, colorful spiritual world, that it was inconceivable to the Greek mind that they would ever touch. Nothing from the perfect spiritual realm would ever allow itself to be sullied with the filth from this physical existence. And so it was to men and women hopelessly slogging out day after day in the darkness and mire of this upside-down world that the Apostle John penned his story of hope. Well, it's sometimes said the truth is stranger than fiction. And to people steeped in Greek ways of thinking, John's story about a Savior from the unseen spiritual realm must have seemed like a Netflix made-for-TV drama. You know, it was a Jewish social experiment gone awry. Maybe they would have called it Stranger Than Stranger Things. But thankfully, as he wrote his gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John had two incredible tools in his tool bag. First, He had a God-centered view of reality based on his own heritage and background in the Jewish scriptures. Yes, the sacred writings affirm this present world of darkness and death was indeed upside down, but it hadn't always been so. John understood that the one true God of the perfect spiritual realm had himself been the designer and creator of a perfect physical creation with the first man and woman as it at its pinnacle. And the scriptures also told him that the chaos and brokenness of this life was just the bitter legacy of that first couple's subsequent sin and the corrupted sin nature that was passed down through their seed even to this present day. 
But John's scriptures also spoke of the hope of heaven's future deliverer, the promised Jewish Messiah. So John's biblical worldview, shaped by the Old Testament scriptures, was indeed a powerful tool, as he wrote, but not so powerful as the second tool in John's bag. For you see, John the Apostle had actually walked and talked with Jesus. John had been present when Jesus gave sight to a man born blind. And he had cowered in a boat until a word from the master calmed the raging storm. John had watched as Jesus turned a few small loaves into a meal for thousands. And he had helped unwrap the grave clothes as Lazarus returned to life. John had actually seen Jesus transfigured, illuminated in glory before his very eyes. And he had marveled as a simple carpenter had confounded the wisest scholars of his day. John had stood at the foot of the cross on the agonizing day of Jesus' death. And he had run to the empty tomb and later rejoiced in the glorious presence of the risen Christ. John had an incredible story to tell men and women trapped in the upside-down world. The hope of heaven's future deliverer was no longer just a hope. He was a very present reality. His name was Jesus. Which brings us to our text and John's account of the Advent. Who was this Jesus and why does he matter? Look with me at the first part of our text, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle began his narrative on the life of Christ in a very interesting place, in the beginning. Now, I trust those three words have a very familiar ring to you, because if they do, you'll quickly appreciate their significance. Listen, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The very first words of the Bible describing the creation of the physical universe. Now, listen again from John's gospel concerning Jesus. In the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Who was Jesus? Church family, a right-side-up Christmas begins with the whole story of Jesus. And the whole story of Jesus begins in the beginning. Listen, the genealogies of Jesus in the birth narratives of Matthew and Luke are incredibly significant. The story of the virgin birth, it's more than just miraculous, it's doctrinally essential. And the decree from Caesar Augustus proclaiming a worldwide census that we heard of from the screen earlier, that's just not a historical footnote. It was necessary to fulfill biblical prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But to fully answer the question, who is Jesus, John knew that his story couldn't just begin with a simple Christ child in humble estate. 
I started with the eternally preexistent Word in heaven's glory. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. The Word was with God before the foundations of time and creation were laid, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning. So maybe this question occurs to you. Pastor, why doesn't the Bible just say, in the beginning, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Why did John just confuse matters by talking about the Word, instead of just calling him by his name, Jesus? It's a fair question. And I think it has a root, it's, the answer has its roots in a matter that, that we're acquainted with here at ACAC, specifically the matter of ethnic diversity. You see, John was a Jew, as were the other disciples, and as was Jesus. In fact, the early Christian movement, as we know, was, was birthed and nurtured in the cradle of Judaism. But by the latter part of the first century, as John wrote, the Christian faith had moved well beyond this Jewish cradle and established itself firmly in the Gentile world dominated by Greek and Roman culture and thinking. In fact, one noted Bible commentator estimated that within 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, there were 100,000 Gentile Christians for every one ethnically Jewish believer. So one of John's challenges as a Jew was to find ways to share the good news of Jesus with Gentiles who had no real interest in his Jewish scriptures or his hope in a Jewish Messiah. The apostle needed to find a hook, if you will, a redemptive analogy that would faithfully convey the truth of the Jewish scriptures but do so in a way that would resonate in the hearts of culturally Greek peoples. The Apostle John, a Jew, needed a bridge to reach into Gentile hearts. And in that context, the Holy Spirit led John to the idea of the word, or logos, in the Greek language. In the beginning was the word Logos wrote John, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. All things were made through him. Now, the Jewish people understood words to be more than just sounds. Spoken words conveyed energy and power to do things. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, Genesis 1-3. God spoke and the creation came into being. So the idea of the Word of God, the Logos, unleashing power to, from God to accomplish His divine will, that, that idea would be easily understood among Jews. But this very same word, Logos, had an incredibly rich meaning to Greeks, thanks in no small measure to the thinking of some of their great philosophers. You see, for centuries, even before Christ, 
Greek writers had used this very word logos to convey their sense of a divine design, order, and reason that just allowed the universe to function. Why did the sun come up in the east day after day after day, they would ask. It was the logos, the word. To the Greek philosophers, the logos was the power that brought order to the world. It was the power that, la- that allowed men, unlike animals, to, to think and to reason and to know. And so the logos provided the bridge between Jew and Greek that John needed. In the beginning was the word, logos. Reasoning in communion with God. Proceeding in power from God to establish creation and bringing light and life and order to that creation. And the Logos, the Word, became flesh. You see, the Holy Spirit knew that the notion of Logos or Word was pregnant with meaning in both Jewish and Greek thought. And he, the Holy Spirit, inspired John to use all of its rich meaning to convey the wonder of the incarnation to the whole world. For the Jew, the word of power at creation had become the author of salvation. For the Gentile, the word of philosophy had become the Jesus of history. This hope is for everyone. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So who was Jesus? Brothers and sisters, a right-side-up Christmas recognized that, that the humble babe wrapped in swaddling clothes was just a touchable version of the eternal Word robed in divine glory. In this season, let's not allow the familiar human themes of Christmas, the shepherds, the baby, Mary and Joseph in the, in the humble surroundings, let's not allow the familiar human themes of Christmas to dull our senses to its deep, transcendent, Wonder that God became man remains the central miracle of the Christian faith. But if the Greeks thought it was true 1,900 years ago, it's no less true today. As believers, we will celebrate Christmas 2017 in an upside-down world. You don't need me to convince you that this is true. The nightly news brings us stories of chaos abroad and a nation fraying at the seams back home. We're told the economy is roaring, but we know the culture's sinking. No disrespect to the writers of Stranger Things, but the the upside-down world isn't a place that exists out there someplace else. It's where we are here and now. It's a sin-twisted world where often black is white 
and dark is light and wrong is right. It's a broken world where hidden ticks carry Lyme disease. And it's a place that rejects the very one sent by God to save it. You know, in our culture, it's often said during this season that there's a war on Christmas. You know the story, New Year, same old drill. Schools and stores ban the use of the word Christmas. Nativity scenes featuring the Prince of Peace put communities in conflict. And a new holiday coffee cup gets some people's shorts in a twist, all thanks to Starbucks. But let me ask... Whatever you think about the idea of the war on Christmas as a holiday, does anybody here here really doubt that the Christ of Christmas is despised and rejected by men in this upside-down world? Jesus came to his own, John wrote, and his own people did not receive him. Listen, Herod tried to have him killed, and that same spirit of rejection and rebellion is alive and well today in Christmas 2017. But the good news is this. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 12. Last year at our Christmas Eve service, Pastor Rock noted, we're all God's creatures, but we're not all God's children. Only those who believe in Jesus, who have received the light and life that he brings, have the right to be called children of God. So let me ask you today, are you one of God's children, or are you merely his creation? Have you ever believed in him, fully convinced that Jesus wants to restore the image of God in you? Have you ever received him as as an act of your faith by opening your heart to his truth? Last year, a friend joined us at that Christmas Eve service. He was in a tough place in life. His, His world was upside down. But he took a bold step that evening, a step to receive Jesus, to believe in him and become a child of God. That friend is a different person this Christmas. Thanks be to God. Author C.S. Lewis said it so clearly. The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. The Son of God became man to enable men to become the sons of God. That's the very reason he came, that you and I might receive him and believe in his name and in so doing become children of God. It's John's answer to the question, why does Jesus matter? Beloved, a right-side-up Christmas is a wonderful family event. It's an occasion for the children of God to celebrate the arrival of the Son of God, the Advent. Others may get to satisfy themselves with the trinkets of Christmas, But we get to rejoice in the treasure that is Christ, our Lord. And finally, just a word about the very last words of our text, verse 14. Nine words that forever altered the course of human history. And the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Would you say those words with me? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Church family, imagine this. The life-creating, life-giving, life-sustaining, eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh. Light invaded our darkness. Life conquered death. The image of God in fallen man being restored. Paradise lost being reclaimed. The dwelling place of God is once again with men. The wonder of it. Why does he matter? He matters because although we live in an upside-down world, as children of God, a right-side-up Savior lives in us. And as the children of God's sons and daughters of the King, let's enjoy a wonderful season of family celebration this Christmas. And as we do, let's also purpose to shine the light of His grace into the darkened corners of every human heart that needs to find the hope of this Advent season in the arrival of a Savior for an upside-down world. Would you pray with me? As we bow our heads, I simply want to re-ask that question. Do you know today that you're one of God's children, not merely his creation. If you're here this morning and you don't know that, but you want to, you want to know that you're a son or daughter of the king, then I would invite you just in your own words at your seat to pray, to put the words of my prayer into your own in these moments. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you made a way for me to become a child of God. I put my faith in Jesus, your Savior for this upside-down world. I believe he's the one that you sent to forgive me and to save me, and I receive his light and life into my heart right now. Change and transform me. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.